Hello, hello, and welcome to Missteps to Success, a podcast which explores our failures and how they make up the fabric of our successes. My guest today is Sam. Sam is the director of product at Art19, a podcast technology company. He lives in Oakland, California with his wife, son, and dog. He loves listening to podcasts, riding motorcycles, occasionally recording hip-hop music, and frequently making dad jokes. I really like today's episode because we discuss what failure looks like in the realm of product management, what the persona of a product manager is, and how we can look at regret as well. Hey, hey, Sam. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing well, doing well. How was your, I guess, Tuesday now? How was your Tuesday? Well, still very much in progress, but (laughs) going, you know, so far so good. Do you have any plans for Memorial Day weekend? I don't. I should, but I kind of like the idea of not having plans right now. I think not having plans is having plans during COVID. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I will be going to San Diego. It is going to be my birthday, actually, this Sunday. So, very exciting. (laughs) My silver celebration, as I like to call it, turning 25. Happy birthday. Thank you. But, anyways, I am super, super excited to talk to you. I think more than just talking to you about product management, you know, because you are a product manager in the ad tech space, I just really like your personality. I remember when we spoke before, you said that you kind of got into product management in a very unconventional fashion and you have a lot of grit, you persevere a lot. And so that's something that I admire and and definitely want to touch on. But before getting into all of that, do you want to talk a little bit about how you landed in product management and how it was kind of your early, early product management career? Sure. Now that my ego is sufficiently boosted. Um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, it was a very organic process where I joined a tech startup in the around 2009, 2010, shortly after graduating, undergraduate. And at that time, I was the 12th employee. So it was super dynamic, a lot of hat situation. I was doing sales. I was doing marketing. I was doing some light project management, really just anything that I could do without having an engineering degree to help the company out. And it was a really fun experience. It was also exhausting. And I ended up leaving mostly because I wasn't a huge fan of Los Angeles at the time, no offense, but you know, basically had an opportunity to join a company that was a little bigger, more established. And it was there that I realized the drudgery of being in a role that really did not suit you. Mm -hmm. And I was doing account management there and it was really less exciting to me because I was playing one very small part of the role that I had previously been doing, which was, you know, basically talking to customers, understanding their problems, trying to upsell them on solutions where appropriate. But a lot of the times I was just basically forwarding on their feedback to what I found was the product team. And so I would like bring them in on calls sometimes, or I would relay the feedback through email to the product team. And I discovered that they were the ones who were actually able to solve these problems with the rest of the design and engineering team. 
And so I basically just uh, started reaching out to the head of product at the time. And he met with me. We went on some walks around Burlingame, which is where the company was located, and basically told me what product was because I didn't know what it was and worked out this arrangement where I could start doing product part-time while I was still doing my other work. And eventually they were like, you know, we think you have what it takes to be an associate PM, which is, you know, the most junior level PM you can be. But that was great for me. I was like, you know, foot in the door. Okay. So you broke into product. You're an associate product manager. I don't know if you have an experience that's specific to this role or later on, but just kind of talking about any sort of missteps or mishaps that that might've happened earlier on in your career where you learned more about what it meant to be a product manager? Sure. One that, you know, definitely comes to mind was fairly early on in my product career where I was working for a ad tech company that was basically running video ads inside of mobile applications on iOS and Android. So sorry to everyone. Essentially, I was put in charge of a project to open up our inventory of apps to self-serve buyers. And I got put in charge of it from a product perspective, which was super exciting. You know, did a lot of research, worked with the design team on making a really beautiful streamlined workflow to get this done because, you know, our goal was to have it so that these people would not have to reach out to our support team at all. We're trying to make it really easy to use. And I think we succeeded in that regard, you know, tons of credit to the lead designer at the time, shout out Brandon. But essentially, I think the project went really well. We we delivered it. We didn't have a budget per se, but we had a timeline and we delivered it within that timeline. And Great I just remember question. being... Oh, oh, sure. How, how early in your PM career was this? Like how many years in were you? Probably two or three. Two to three years and you were already put in charge of this whole workflow and delivered it kind of within timeline, under budget time, I guess you could say. Uh, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. I don't like to pat myself on the back because of <laughs> you know what ended up happening. But yeah, I felt good about it at the time. And I think the whole team felt pretty accomplished and, and happy about it. But, you know, the the shoe dropped when we realized that it wasn't getting any traction. And the reason for this was there really was not a strong go-to-market plan for the product launch. I think that the main lesson for me in this is that I should not have assumed (laughs) that that would be handled by someone else. In the scope of what I was responsible for, I should have assumed that it was everything, the complete end-to-end from, you know, working on the requirements all the way to getting it in the hands of customers and making customers aware of it. And while we did have people on our marketing team, you know, I don't, I don't think everybody was talking to each other. All of that coordination should have been on me. And uh, as a result, the product didn't do so well. Interesting. So it's kind of funny that you could be proud of the product that came out of it, right? You And you seem really proud of it. it. It had a beautiful workflow and all of that, and and you did well in terms of time. But 
it's still considered, I guess, a failure that you didn't, you know, you weren't able to get traction due to kind of assuming that the go-to-market strategy would have been taken care of. I do want to touch on an article that you actually passed over to me, and I'll include it in the show notes. But it talks about the persona of a product manager as being sort of a jack of all trades, taking responsibility of everything. So just to kind of give a little bit of context in the article, it spoke about how you are sort of the CEO of, you know, your product or a feature within that product, but you are still under the whims of the actual CEO of the company. You're also a coach, right? You need to make sure you're hyping up your team and all cross-functional teams, make sure they're doing their best work. You're in a sense, an engineer, you need to be able to understand what it takes to build the product. And then at the end of it all, a janitor as well. You're just doing everything you can to take all the roadblocks out. So with this in mind, I'm curious of the Sam behind the product management veil. You know, who were you going into this role early on? Were you the kind of guy that always liked to get your hands in everything? I'm guessing you were because you said you worked at a startup and you you wore many hats. You know, maybe even coming from college, were you doing a lot of different things? What kind of persona were you outside of the product management title? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a good question. I, I feel like I've always been multidisciplinary or, you know, a low-key renaissance man. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> but, you know, I've always had a lot of different interests. And I think that just helps round you out as a person, mm-hmm. let alone a PM, because then, you know, really, there's some quote about this that, of course, I can't remember. But, you know, there's the more you expose yourself to in terms of really different, um, you know, different vocations and different studies and, you know, lines of work, blah, 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 the more you can come up with really novel combinations of things. And so, I mean, there's like, you know, the famous example of Steve Jobs when he was fired and started studying design and typography and stuff. And he brought that to, you know, Mac OS. But I think in general, that's just a recipe for success in life is being able to connect things that are really a unique combination of what you have found to be interesting. Right. So yeah, I would say that was a factor. Definitely was not at all a CEO in the early days of my product career. I think that is the famous sexy line that everybody likes to think of. Oh yeah, the PM is the CEO of the product. But in most cases, you're really not, especially young in your career, you you have nothing to do with, you know, P&L or, or, you know, budgeting or making hard decisions. You're not hiring people. You're not firing people. You can't tell people what to do explicitly. I actually did not know this. <laughs> I, yeah. I've been going by the line that you're the CEO, which makes it very intimidating to, to start. <laughs> right. I think it's actually doing a disservice to PMs. And that's what I love about this article is it does dispel that myth a little bit. Of course, the higher you get in the product chain, I think you do become more of a CEO. But the the bigger like takeaway from that is just that you are responsible as as a CEO would be, but not that you can wield the same power as a CEO. Anyway, yeah, so that, you know, early on in my career, I was very nervous. I had major imposter syndrome about not having enough technical knowledge. I remember just sitting in meetings sometimes having to Google every other term that the engineers were talking about when we were doing standups. 
and just try not to let people see my screen and then just putting on my to-do list, like, look this up, look this up, look this up. So the main thing was being curious and resourceful, but I was definitely ashamed of it. And I did not want the team to know that I didn't have the experience because I felt like they would lose their faith in me. Like, why are we why are we letting him make decisions if he doesn't know what we're talking about? So that was hard, but, you know, I definitely relied on other product people and having one-on-one conversations with Mm -hmm. specific engineers after meetings and being like, Hey, could you just explain this to me? And that was helpful. But yeah, in terms of, you know, bringing it back to the article, I just love the fact that it talks about all these different aspects of being a PM where you have to, you know, depending on the context and the role you're in and the company and the culture, you know, employ all these different versions of yourself or, you know, switch roles from being very goal oriented and say, hey, we got to get this done in this amount of time. That's what we all agreed on. Got to make it happen to completely disappearing because you don't want to be annoying. You can tell people are already doing the best they can. And by, you know, communicating further, you're just interrupting people. And so being a ghost is some of one of the things he mentions in this article, you need to know when to disappear and find other ways to busy yourself. I kind of want to tie in my experience here because I I relate with a lot of things you've said. So I work in consulting right now. And I will say that before I started work, I was so quiet. I was the kind of person that didn't have her own opinions. And I was a sponge. I used to take in everyone else's opinions and make them my own because I never thought I was right. And so going into consulting was the opposite of who I was. Because, you know, now I'm being told by my manager, you need to be an expert in Kubernetes testing by like tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? So this kind of goes to what you were saying with the whole, you know, imposter syndrome and looking things up and and trying to convince people that you are qualified for the job. But I too was ashamed to to have to ask so many questions. So do you have an experience later on in your career that you can speak about where you kind of learn more about product management, but also yourself and as well? Yeah. And I guess just to like put a cap on the other story, basically, you know, the main thing that I learned is, you know, don't assume that other people are going to be responsible for any aspect of your product. You know, you should really have a plan for the entire end-to-end flow and know who's responsible for what. Perhaps obvious to some. But yeah, in terms of, you know, another story where there's some regret attached, I later in my career joined a company that had a really cool technology which was basically the ability to really rapidly create prototypes of mobile games and apps. The technology was really cool. It was demoed to me by the founder of the company and at the time, you know, positioned as an opportunity to really revolutionize the prototyping process, the process of collecting feedback on new app ideas and game ideas at scale without investing a lot of money into it, where you had to create a really high fidelity prototype and you know expend engineering resources or contract that out, what have you. I thought it was a super cool you know, idea and vision and ultimately joined the company on that basis. And shortly after joining, came to, to realize that that avenue of thinking for the company wasn't really being explored yet. 
where instead the technology was being purposed for basically creating playable ads. So again, the ads thing where you know you have the opportunity to to play an ad instead of just watching it inside of a, a mobile application. I would say it's maybe not fair for me to say it was like a complete bait and switch situation because it wasn't. I knew that that it was a very good application for that as well. But I was definitely less excited at the prospect of doing another kind of ad tech gig. And as time went on, we started working on some products that were a little bit more towards, you know, the, the prototyping side of things. So actually working on tools, basically no or low code tools is the real terminology that's used for designers to use to create these, these prototypes. But we also had the other half of our, you know, company, actually more than half, but probably half of our engineering team working on the ad tech side of the business. And we were a fairly small company and I had reservations about the fact that we we're splitting up our resources into these two really different businesses and, you know, was, was worried that we would not be able to succeed in either because we were spreading ourselves out too thin. And there were some dance around it conversations that I had with the founder about my concerns and with the COO at the time, but I really did not tackle that concern head on. Uh, I did not have just a completely honest conversation with him and say that, look, I don't think the ad tech side of the business is as appealing. I think it's, you know, in my evaluation, competition is too stiff. There'd be a very narrow opportunity for us to succeed. And the other opportunity to me is way bigger and impactful and differentiated. Instead, I just tried to make it work with having these really serious concerns and eventually just ended up leaving. And it wasn't entirely motivated by, you know, the fact that they were doing both things and I wanted to just pivot to do one thing. But that was a factor in addition to the fact that I was just a little tired of just doing ad tech. <laughs> but yeah, it was really disappointing to me, you know, looking back that I could have kind of changed the course of the company when I was at the company. And the, the ultimate irony here is that not too long after I left, they did completely pivot their business. They, they shut down the ad tech piece or ad network piece, and they just fully invested in this low code kind of prototyping tool for, for apps and games, and actually even purchased another company that was just doing uh, low code game development. Oh, wow. Um, they went all the so, way. <laughs> they went all the way and I really could have been a part of that ride, but I didn't speak up and I certainly don't regret where I've ended up. I like my job, but I regret that I didn't, I didn't tackle it head on when I had the opportunity and, and really share my completely honest view of things with the founder and the COO and CTO when I had the chance. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot actually that I, I want to tap into here. You mentioned this is the ad tech industry and you wanted to see this pivot 
workout into into the cool new t- prototyping technology. Could you give a little brief overview of the ad tech industry and why you believe that would have been the better pivot? And I guess in the end, you know, you were right, right to think that. So I think that is very telling of the ad tech industry. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of it was rooted in my experience having worked in the ad tech industry for many years, but basically having come from a company that was successful, a lot of their success was due to timing, being one of the first. Um, but they were, you know, now are, are one of several big players and more on the tertiary, but big players in mobile ad tech. And really the big names now are, you know, Facebook and Google and all the names that we're familiar with as consumers of their other products. But back in 2000, you know, 9, 10, 11, they really did not have presence in that market. Mm. So when you're trying to then come in 2016, 17, 18 and compete with the likes of Facebook, it's just kind of a crazy proposition unless you have a very specific strategy to do so and, Mm -hmm. you know, can work on that advantage of focus. But, you know, ultimately there were other companies doing the same things and we had so much to catch up on, on the rest of our ad tech business that it was hard for us to be taken seriously by customers because, you know, already they're getting guaranteed revenue and CPMs, which are, you know, the price that they get paid for serving every 1000 impressions of an ad. Mm -hmm. They were getting these guarantees from these big established companies with deep pockets. And so that's not a good basis to compete on for a startup um, space. Gotcha. Gotcha. Timing is everything in tech. (laughs) Um, Always. So... And then the last piece I wanted to touch on with with the story you shared was that you mentioned that you still kind of regretted how things ended up in terms of you not speaking up. But, you know, of course, in the end, things always work out. You like where you are now. So that part's not the problem. But I do want to touch on regret. And just to share kind of a quick anecdote for myself is recently I had this friend and we aren't friends anymore because I said something that just did not mesh with her at all. I couldn't really take it back. And that really just ruined our relationship, which I regret. I'm still kind of growing from that. And yes, the positives are I grew from it and I'm fine right now. But, you know, I still do think about that. So just kind of touching on that, what are your thoughts on regret? And, you know, what what would you want listeners to know about it? Yeah, this I'll caveat by saying this is a very heavy topic that I don't feel super qualified to pontificate on. But in my experience, you know, the (sighs) regret, it's completely normal, first of all. Yeah. And so everyone has regrets to some extent, unless you're, you know, maybe a a sociopath or something, but (laughs) it's completely normal. I would say it doesn't have to be the complete you know, end of the chapter. And by that, I mean, I've had experiences where, you know, in, in middle school, for example, I was, I, I don't know if bullied is the right word, but there was a kid who, who always liked to push my buttons. And he sat next to me in, you know, my science class. And I just, 
remember him always, you know, pranking me in ways that would be funny if we were friends, but we weren't. And it was always really inconvenient and made me uncomfortable. And he would kind of haze me on the basketball courts and, you know, basically never saying anything explicitly negative, but it was clear that he was making fun of me and I was emotionally intelligent enough to tell that. And that was something that I actually completely forgot about it, you know, later in life. He reached out to me on Facebook a couple of years ago and apologized. Wow. And it just blew me away. And I was like, I honestly don't remember all the details, but I appreciate you reaching out. You know, there's, you don't have to, in your case, you could always reach out to your friend if you haven't already and just explain how you've done some reflection on it and you do want to apologize that you don't expect a response, but Mm -hmm. you at least have an opportunity to get more quote unquote closure. Right. But you know, this is getting off topic from, from product, of course, in the, in the realm of product, it's more, you know, for me anyway, it's, it's about learning things about myself that I can work on. And in this example, I would say that historically, I've been very deferential in workplace settings where I'm always like, agree with the hierarchy of the company. And if the, ultimately the CEO says this thing, that's what it is. And while I'm still that way, and I haven't, you know, completely flipped the other way, and I'm not completely, I don't know, disobedience, the right word, but I mean, it's uh, important to respect the yeah, hierarchy. <laughs> it's important for, for you know, this, your job safety and stuff. Right. But there's still ways to, to voice a different opinion. Mm. And with without actually being seen as a, a rabble rouser, but actually as kind of a really helpful contributor. And that's something important to keep in mind that, you know, for me, I do disagree with the CEO at my current company pretty frequently. And I've had to learn how to be tactful about it. And I regret, again, not speaking up in the past case, because I totally could have said something and I could have put it in the right way. But I was really struggling with how to say something or if it were a lost cause. And, you know, I think I should have just done it. And I, I overthought it. Right, right. So I think what I... What I really love about, I mean, I don't love regret, but uh, what I love about professional regret, like in a, in a professional setting, is to me, it actually kind of serves as an asset for future interviews. Because if you regret something, they know you don't want to feel that again, and you know you don't want to feel that again. So, you know, I've, I've actually wanted to, and I, I might, I don't know, I'm thinking about it. I've wanted to have a section in, on my resume that says like failed projects or things I regret because I think there's some, so much power in things that just didn't work out. I work in security and in the realm of security, I've actually uh, talked to quite a few people through informational interviews and such. And I'm like, would you hire someone who just came from a company that got breached? And they said, yes, because they're going to be on their toes. You know, they've gone through it when you would intuitively think otherwise, right? Like, oh, they work in security, the company got breached, like they don't know what they're doing. But, you know, it could happen to anyone. So that's not how they look at it, which is great. So going back to you feeling regret for not speaking up at that point, I think in my opinion, right, you know, I could just be putting words in your mouth. But in my opinion, I think you've seen yourself evolve. And as 
as humans, we look in the mirror every day. We don't see ourselves as different people. But from age 12 to 21, there's a huge difference. But regret is kind of this instant, I'm a different person right now from when I made this decision and thought Mm -hmm. that decision was okay. So that's kind of how I'm seeing your situation. I'm finding a lot of power in regret. But you know, that's just, maybe I'm just trying to make it all a positive thing. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah. just to close this out here, I just want to ask, why do you believe that you are better off today because of your experiences that you spoke about today? I know that there's a whole lessons learned thing, but just in getting this opportunity to reflect back and talk about it, you know, has it changed the way that you view those experiences or, or anything like that? Yeah. First off, I love your idea of putting failures on a resume. I, it would definitely, as a someone who's looked at a lot of resumes, c- give me cause to you know give a second glance at it. But also because it is something that I think is very common in PM interviews to talk about you know your failures. Mm. So great idea. Um, anyway, the you know, definitely learned a lot from these experiences. Something that is also important is learning to kind of battle your ego and Mm. admit when you're wrong and become very comfortable with that. That's something that early on in my career would just frustrate the heck out of me and really bother me after the fact. So if, you know, someone pointed out something that was wrong with something I did or just challenged me directly on something and they ended up being right, I would definitely, it, it was definitely where my, my ego was involved and I would get upset about it. But having to, over the years and like really understanding what was going on there, internalizing my emotions, mm. you know, they're not upset with me. They're upset with the decision I made or the outcome of something. And ultimately, if I'm trying to learn and grow, I need to take these things in stride. Yeah. And especially in product when you're dealing with people from all sorts of different teams and you have to take a step back and be like, okay, that person's an expert in engineering. I should probably say, I see where you're coming from, Dan. So I love that. Anyways, thank you so much, Sam. It's been a joy to talk to you and learn not only about product management, but about kind of how you grew through your journey in product management. I think that's really powerful as well and definitely helpful as as I and you know, I'm sure many others embark on that journey. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you've got a story you'd like to share, DM me on Instagram at missteps to success. If you like what you heard today, it would be really awesome if you could leave me a review. This was missteps to success, and I'm Karishma. Until next time. <laughs>